0: we move to the final chapter of the book, chapter four, and Paul is beginning to kind of wrap up his thoughts in what sounds kind of like a final charge to his friends in Philippi. And in this final charge, Paul really hones in on two ideas, anxiety and peace. So that's what we'll be talking about today, anxiety and peace. But before we do, please join me in prayer. Lord, the, the words anxiety and peace, uh, they, they bring up a lot of emotions and fears and memories for, for many of us in this room. And I pray that you will, will use those to show us something today, uh, to, to unearth something about us or something about you that you would like for us to know. So I pray that you use Paul's words in the fourth chapter of Philippians, that you, you have a message for us today, be it through my words or in spite of my words, that you, you meet us today, draw us closer to you. Wesley sings in your son's name. Amen. All right, so there is a picture that should be coming up on the screen of me back when I played Little League Baseball. That's, that's your guy right there in the middle, and you can see there, there's not a whole lot little about me. Those are my coaches on either end. Um, and they, they actually had to get me a coach's hat and a coach's shirt because the kid's size of stuff didn't fit. You Also, look, look at the kid in the bottom row <laughs> to, to show you the, uh, the other end of the spectrum. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so I, I bring this up because back when I was, I was playing Little League ball, my dad, before every game, he would say, Gray, what's the number one rule? And the number one rule was to do your best and to have fun. For every game, my dad would ask me that question. And this was my dad's way of telling me, hey, great, this is what the game is all about. And I was a good kid, but, I, but I'd, I'd go out there, and inevitably, I'd get pretty angry because I, w- I wasn't playing well. I was very good at walking batters when I pitched. And I'd get, uh, get kind of pouty. I'd lose my composure. I'd lose sight of what the game was all about. It was literally, we're out there to have fun, and I was, I was like getting angry out there. Wouldn't, wouldn't be having fun. I'd get frustrated, and then I'd end up kind of not giving my best. I'd, uh, I'd just try and get through it. And time and time again, my dad before every game would say, great, what's the number one rule? And time and time again, throughout Philippians, Paul has invited us to joy. He's told us about this idea of joy. He's told us joy can be found through Christ. And I mentioned that he closes this letter with his final charge, and he talks about joy again. Again, what he's been saying all along. He's essentially saying Guys, what's the number one rule in Philippians? And the answer is verse five. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's how he opens his final charge. So Paul's telling us, guys, we gotta get serious about joy. C.S. Lewis famously wrote that joy is the serious business of heaven. As we've been saying through this whole series, joy is what Jesus Christ invites us into. And in this section, Paul tells us to rejoice again, and he says it twice, because Paul knows how easy it is to take our eyes off of joy, how easy it is to take our eyes off of God's story and the purposes he has, and how easy it is to to turn them back on our story and the worries and the problems and the anxieties we have. He knows how effortlessly we can turn away from joy. And there are a lot of reasons why this happens, but in the next verse, in verse 6, Paul puts his finger on a big one, anxiety. In verse six, Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So three points about verse six. First two will be quick. So the first one, what anxiety is? Second, where we see anxiety? And three, what Paul tells us to do about it. So the first one, what anxiety is? We see again, do not be anxious about anything, But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So today, in 2019, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S. Around 40 million Americans are affected. And there are many more who who are are undiagnosed but are living with a level of anxiety in their life that that affects how they live in the day-to-day. Anecdotal evidence suggests these numbers are on the rise, but admittedly, that's a hard thing to measure. What we do know for sure is that we live in a time fraught with anxiety. And then we read Paul telling the Philippian church not to be anxious. And in that we see that anxiety is not new to our day. It was around 2,000 years ago in the same way it is today. So if the Philippians were anxious, it makes you wonder, in a time before social media and contentious presidential elections, what would the Philippians be anxious about? Why would they be anxious? And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but, but the town of Philippi had, had a large Roman military presence. And the church there felt pressure from this Roman majority and they felt persecution from this Roman majority. So this is pressure from outside. Also there are disputes within the church and Paul references in the second verse of chapter two. He says, I plead with Yodi and I plead with Syntyche to be out, to be of the same mind in the Lord. So there he's kind of vaguely referencing this dispute that these two people have. So you have tension outside the church, tension inside the church, and then it becomes very easy for me to see what they would be anxious about. It's not hard to imagine. If I put myself in their place, I'd be thinking, man, maybe, you know, this Christian thing's pretty new. Maybe this is how it all kind of begins to fall apart. Pressure from outside, pressure from within. Maybe it's the church that I'm a part of that's gonna make the whole thing start to unravel. What if the church divides? What if it fades away? And then the question, well, what will happen to me as a failed member of this religious sect in a Roman majority town? Are they gonna arrest us like they arrested Paul? The future was not only unclear, but it looked pretty bad. It looked pretty grim. What was gonna to happen to them? What would happen to us? And in that question, we put our finger on one of the core parts of anxiety, a fear of what the future will bring, a fear of what's around the corner. And this future I speak of could be five minutes from now, or it could be five years from now. Anxiety can feel, like, it can feel like a winding up, or it can feel like a pressure from above. It can feel like something in between. It can feel like dread, where we fear what's around the corner. It can feel like a lot of different things. But now that, now that we put a finger on, on some of what anxiety was for the church in Philippi and some of what it can be for us, let's move on to the second point. <clears throat> where do we see anxiety? In the next line of verse 6, Paul tells us, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And this is interesting because it would seem like, if I was expecting what would be written here, it would seem to make more sense if instead of in every situation it said, you know, in hard times or in times of need or when you're anxious or when things are bad, then go present your requests to God because that's kind of when you really need them, you know. Because we aren't anxious in the good times, Right? Psychologist Brene Brown writes about one way that we are anxious in the good times. It's a term she calls foreboding joy. Here's how it works. When things are going well, when we're beginning to experience joy, there's this red light that starts to flash inside of us. And that red light is saying you're exposed. You're putting your heart out there. Heartbreak is coming. Disaster is just around the corner. Protect yourself. So we begin to protect ourselves by, by preparing for and visualizing these horrible things, by visualizing this heartbreak. We envision horrible worst case scenarios in our mind. Um, for example, maybe, maybe we're overcome with love for our spouse. You know, had a great, great coffee in the morning, and then you head off to work, and you picture a horrible car wreck on I-77, and then your family at your funeral, and then your kids growing up without a dad, and, and you, you envision this horrible thing. Or maybe you find out you're pregnant and there's a short, this little period of joy that is then soon undercut with thoughts about a miscarriage or developmental issues. Or maybe you've been working like a dog and you finally get your family vacation at the beach. And there you are, you're in your, your little beach chair and your kids are out playing in the water and you start thinking about shark attack, funeral. Or graduation comes for your college students or high school students. Uh, Graduation comes and what should be a day of accomplishment, celebration. Instead, you're thinking about six months from now when you hate your job, you're lonely. You're not dating anyone, so you're probably not going to get married. Does anyone else do this? Or is it just me? (laughs) Anyone else do this? Yes. So, So many of us do this, and the question is why? Why do we do this? And I touched on this a second ago, but it's because joy makes us vulnerable. It exposes us to being blindsided by heartbreak. So what do we do? We try to protect ourselves. It's kind of like a turtle, you know, the turtles have this hard shell, and they'll poke their neck out, but when things, when they start getting nervous, they pull their neck in and protect themselves. And like a turtle, a lot of times we'd rather pull our heads in and, and hide in a safe shell where we can't be surprised by anything than stick our necks out and find the joy that God has for us. We don't let ourselves get too high up on the mountain because that would mean a farther fall. I say we, but well, adults do this. Kids generally don't. Many of you know I'm a a new dad, and man, being a a parent makes a lot of the things Jesus said make a lot more sense. Like in Mark 10, Jesus has all these kids coming around him, and his disciples are like, kids, get out of here. We don't have time for you. And and Jesus gets kind of angry at him, and he says, let the little children come to me And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, and here it is, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a little child? It means to put your neck out and fully trust. Put your neck out and experience joy. We have a, I mentioned I'm a new dad, we have a daughter named Isla. And one of the things I love to do is, hold her, this sounds bad, but hold her upside down by her knees and she'll, uh, you know, she smiles, she loves it. Hang her upside down um, and she loves it. She's not worried about like me dropping her or what, what, what would happen. But if someone did that to me, granted that'd be a very large person, but if someone held me up, I would, I would not be smiling. I'd be terrified and worried. So kids can fully experience joy in almost in a reckless way. And then at the same time, they can fully experience heartbreak. Like my wife, Annika, drops Isla off at a child care every 9.30. And every, every Sunday at 9.30, Isla has a heartbreak. It's scheduled every week. Lots of belly laughs and lots of, you know, heart, heartbroken tears. That's, that's how kids do it. They're all in. But again, us, us adults, we tend to pull our necks in. Uh, we, we don't trust that the person holding us won't let us fall. We're thinking about the the fall the entire time. And so, again, we try to protect ourselves. And when we do that, we end up robbing even the good times of the joy that God has for us. We try and beat the heartbreak to the punch. We rehearse it so we won't be shocked or surprised when it happens. And granted, most of the time, the worst-case scenario stuff does not happen. And instead of having this time of joy, we have this sigh of relief. And we look back at this time of anxiety anxiety. But sometimes, we have to be honest, sometimes the horrible situations we rehearse do happen. And this is where the analogy breaks down. This doesn't mean that God has dropped you. Doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Doesn't mean that God has moved on from you. We'll come back to this in our third point. But but immediately in these moments, we discover that we're no more prepared for dealing with that grief had we just been blindsided and heartbroken by it. Because you can't prepare for that type of tragedy. Actually, a great way to prepare is by just embracing the joy God has for you every day. And when, those time, when the storms come, you'll have this well of joy to draw from. Brene Brown, she said that, said that the antidote to foreboding joy, this way of thinking we've been talking about, is Gratitude. And as we move on to our third point, what to do about it, we see that Paul's message shares this thread of gratitude. So the third point, what to do about anxiety, we come back to verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And Paul is pretty clear about what to do with our worries, what to do with our anxieties. He says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He says, so, so instead of worrying about the future, outcomes that are out of our control, that we can't change, outcomes that may or may not happen, what will or will not work out, bring it to God. It sounds simple because it is. Bring it to God, lay it at the feet of Jesus. And I, I can do a pretty good job of this with little things, small things, like, uh, like I can trust God with how a sermon will or will not be received. But it, it gets hard for me with the scary stuff. Again, I go back to having a child. It, uh, it makes me start to get, I, I start to get anxious about the world she will grow up in. I look around at the, uh, the destructive power that a lot of nations have as technology advances and stuff like that. And, and I think through the possibility that she might live through some very difficult times. I, my inclination is to worry about this stuff. But again, Paul is very clear about what to do. In prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the, the with thanksgiving piece is critical. And so my prayer and petition, it could sound like this. God, I don't know what tomorrow will bring or what 10 years from now will bring, but I pray that the world Isla grows up in will not be what I fear it might. But I thank you for today and for her. Thank you for another day where you have provided In Matthew 6, Jesus tells the crowd, says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? So worrying about what might or might not happen, it doesn't change what might or might not happen. It sucks the joy out of the moment. It makes a world of color turn into a world of black and white. And Paul includes the line with thanksgiving because because thanksgiving, gratitude, that's how we can embrace the joy that God has put in front of us with thankfulness for the joy that God has for us today. If we're looking ahead to how that might one day be gone, we'll miss the joy that God has for us today. And so we move on to verse seven, and we see the promise that if we do these things, if we go to God in prayer with thanksgiving, if we expose ourselves to the vulnerability of joy, if we trust God with our anxieties, promises that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul promises that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Yet I know of many Christians, myself included, who have struggled both in heart and mind with anxiety and fear. So how do we make sense of that? We have to understand that to have our hearts and minds guarded by Christ Jesus, it doesn't mean we'll never feel pain. It doesn't mean we'll never be blindsided by things. It doesn't mean we'll never have our hearts broken. I don't have to tell you this. You lived long enough to know So how then does the peace of God guard us in the midst of this? We read God's promises throughout all of Scripture, including, but not limited to, Isaiah 41.10, where he writes, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So we find peace knowing that God will never let us be overtaken by the pain. Yes, we will experience it, but we will not be overtaken by the pain. We will experience heartbreak, but we will never be defeated by the heartbreak. Evil will not overcome us. Nothing that happens to us will separate us from God's purpose for us or God's love for us. When I mean, you look at Paul writing as he is imprisoned and possibly facing execution, and he knows that while what happened to him probably isn't how he would have drawn it up, none of it has undermined the purpose that God has for his life. None of it has undermined the love that God has for him. That's how he has joy in the midst of horrible circumstances. That's how he has peace, is that God's purpose, God's love for him, is not at stake the peace of God comes in knowing that Christ is for us. Despite the fact that, that sometimes things might be hard to make sense of, and that God's peace is there, that God is guarding us there. It can be a mystery. And some of us get to see how God worked in that mystery, but some of us never do. Not on this side of eternity. And the mystery remains, but there the promise does too. The promise that God's peace will guard us. The promise that God's peace can be found in the darkness. I know it's hard to live in the mystery in, in what seems like God's absence, holding on to the, the promise of God's protection. It's hard to, hard to walk by faith, not by sight. It reminds me of a, a line from the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And the line says, And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds roll back as a scroll. He's saying, Lord, bring the day when, when what I believe I will finally see because it's tough to live in this mystery. The clouds roll back as a scroll. When, bring the day when the veil will vanish between heaven and earth and we'll see the glory that you have for us. It's a great song. Some, some of you have heard the, the story of the guy who wrote it. He lived in Chicago, and he was named Horatio Spafford. Lived in the the mid-19th century and had a lot of things going for him. He was a successful businessman, had a lot of real estate. Uh, He had a beautiful wife, family of five. Then 1871, Chicago had a great fire, and, and many of his real estate holdings burnt to the ground, and he lost a great deal of his wealth. That same year, his son died of scarlet fever. Two years later, in 1873, He and his family were gonna take a vacation to England to go hear their friend, Dwight Moody, speak. But Horatio had some business stuff come up and he had to go go a couple days later. So his family went on ahead on a boat. That boat ended up colliding with another ship in the Atlantic, and Horatio, um, his wife, was rescued. But all four of his daughters died. And his wife made it on the rescue ship and in England, telegram back and said, Saved alone, what shall I do? And Horatio got on the next boat to England. And the legend has it that during the journey, um, the captain called Horatio to his cabin around the time that they were passing over the place where the, the accident had happened, where the ship had sunk. And we, we see Horatio write about this in a letter that's in the Library of Congress. He's writing to his wife's sister. He says, on Thursday last... We passed over the spot where she went down. In mid-ocean, the waters three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, folded, the dear lambs. It was on this boat, on this journey, over the scene of his life's greatest tragedy that he wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. So this is a man who, in the midst of unbelievable agony and grief, He had a peace that, as Paul wrote, surpassed all understanding. Doesn't mean he wasn't stricken with grief. Doesn't mean he wasn't torn apart by sorrow. But on top of it all, there was this peace that surpassed all understanding. And in his hymn, which I would encourage you to read, we hear his grief find its footing in the peace of God. I'll read you one more line from it. Uh, For in death as in life, Thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. Thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. Reminds me of what Jesus said in John 14, where his, his disciples are around him, they're anxious, they're worried. Like you and me, they've heard the truth, yet they still struggle to trust, they struggle to find joy, they struggle to find peace. And Jesus says these words, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. So how did Horatio Spafford find God's peace in the midst of tragedy? How do we find God's peace in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of tragedy? It all comes from knowing that, yes, while we may face pain, while we may have our hearts broken, While we we will all one day face death, anxiety, pain, death, none of these have the final word. The final word belongs to Christ, who claims victory over death for himself and for us all. And it is through him that we find peace, that we find joy, that we find life, both now and forever. We're going to hear for about 30, 30 seconds or a minute. I uh, have a time of silence for prayer, and then I'll close this in prayer. But as, as you pray, I would, I would encourage you to consider these questions. One, is there an area of your life in which you could use God's peace? Is there an area of your life in which you could use God's peace? And then the second one related to it, what is keeping you from trusting? What's keeping you from trusting in that peace? Please pray with me. Lord, you have created us uh, as beings who, who hunger for joy, who long for peace, uh, yet we all know there's a part of us that, that eludes joy. That is, that is afraid to trust. God, would you meet us there? Would you meet our, uh, our unbelieving hearts and help us believe, help us trust you, and thank you for the peace and the joy that you offer. Would you uh, show us each in our own way what the next step might be towards trusting you, towards embracing and accepting the joy you have for us? towards casting our anxieties and our worries to you. Show us that next step, and pray that, I pray that you'd give us the courage to take it. Thank you for this time to reflect, to think, and to be drawn towards your peace, your joy. In your son's name, amen.